Hey, Mama. I know getting meals on the table for your family can feel tough, especially finding weeknight-friendly meals that everyone in the family will love. There's a good chance it's why you're here, at least I hope so. Helping moms take the stress out of feeding their family is my biggest passion. It's why I share with you here, and it's why I created the Healthy Mama Cooking Club. If you've ever wished this podcast came with a weekly done-for-you dinner plan with a shopping list and meal prep tips, or maybe a recipe library with over 200 family-friendly recipes, cooking tips, how-tos, and hacks, well, it does, and it's all in the Healthy Mama Cooking Club over on Patreon. Starting at just $3 a month for access to our 200-plus recipe vault with printable PDF recipes, or $5 a month for weekly done-for-you dinner plans, plus the recipe vault and bonus podcasts every month, the Healthy Mama Cooking Club is the dinnertime solution you're looking for. Head to patreon.com slash healthymamachris or click the link in the show notes to try it out for a week free and join over 130 other busy mamas making weeknight meals work with the Healthy Mama Cooking Club. I can't wait to see you in there. All right, let's get on with the episode. You have to understand what's happening. You have to understand what's your what are your hormones doing all month? When are your, your symptoms showing up? And then potentially what are some other factors from this more bird's eye holistic view that could be influencing things and go after those things first with those small sustainable shifts. Living a healthy, balanced life is no small feat, especially when you're a mom. With meals to cook, laundry to load, work to do, and humans to raise, it can be easy to feel like we're in an on-again, off-again relationship with healthy living. But it doesn't have to feel this way. I believe living a healthy life has become way too complicated. What we need isn't a new plan or program telling us what to eat or how to live. We need simple, uncomplicated routines and information that's going to help us live our best, most beautiful life without rules and restrictions. Join me, Kristen Dofniak, holistic health coach, certified intuitive eating counselor, and mama of two for weekly conversations on what it means to live a healthy, balanced life, uncomplicate eating, and simplify in every area of mom life. Hey friends, welcome back to the Healthy Balanced Mama podcast. Today we are back for part two with Dr. Heather Rhodes, the holistic pharmacist we had on last week to talk all things hormone imbalance and hormone health. Last week, we really talked a ton about mindset and our mindset around food and how having a negative mindset around food can really hinder us finding a true place of health and balance, especially when it comes to our hormones. We also talked about some of the symptoms of hormone imbalance and how to know if you might be experiencing hormone imbalance. And she went over a ton of those in the last episode. So if you haven't yet listened to that episode, I highly encourage you to do so before we hop in today. But today is a fantastic episode in and of itself as well. We start digging in to some of the myths surrounding hormone balance and what to do to balance our hormones. Heather really shares some of the things that she sees the most with the women that she works with, just from their experiences, things like if you just lose weight, your hormones will just balance themselves, or that you need to go on a specific 
calorie restricted diet or things like that in order to balance your hormones. And so she debunks some of those myths. And we talk about some of the most important and really simple things that we can do in order to balance our hormones. One of the things I love the most about Heather is that she is all about simplifying, making things practical and actionable, and helping you to really nail down those simple things before moving on to the next thing. Because oftentimes, it's the most simple things that we're not doing that make the biggest difference in our health and our wellness and in our hormones especially. We get nerdy about the science. She talks about the impact of stress in our hormones. She blew my mind with some of the things that she shared about cholesterol and stress hormones. We really dig into some practical things that you can do in order to start to balance your hormones. She gives you some direction there and also directs us to some resources that she has to help us to further work on balancing our hormones. We also started to dig into PCOS, which is something that I experience and that um, it's taken me a long time to manage. And so, and I know it's true for so many of my listeners as well. So it's definitely something that we could probably talk about for hours, but she gives some good tips on PCOS. I did want to mention that Heather does have her son with her in this episode. He unexpectedly had to stay home from daycare, so you will hear baby sounds in the background, but I figure this is the Healthy Balance Mama podcast, and most of us don't mind the sounds of kiddos in the background, so the information that she shares is incredible. What is a little bit of baby sounds in the background, right? So um, I hope you guys love Love this episode as much as I did. Look out for more collaborations with me and Heather in the future because she is just such a wealth of knowledge and the work that she does to help women balance their hormones in a really simple and balanced way is really incredible. I know she's been so, so helpful for me in my own journey and I can't wait for you to hear what she has to say in part two of our interview. Welcome back to the podcast, Dr. Heather. I'm so excited to have you on for part two. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here again. So in our last conversation, we really started to dig into the power of our mindset around food and hormone healing. You shared a bunch of your story, and we started to dig into how to know if you're experiencing hormone imbalance, and we talked a lot about how common hormone imbalance is. And so in today's chat, we're really going to pick it back up where we left off with some of the nerdy science stuff and really start to chat about what to do if you think your hormones are imbalanced, if you're noticing some of those signs that you mentioned in our last conversation. And then you're going to give some listeners some really solid action steps for simplifying approaching hormone imbalance in a really balanced way. So I can't wait. Yes. Yes. It's my favorite things. So I'm really pumped. <laughs> so let's jump right in then. For those listeners who are just tuning in, um, I just did a little mini bio, but you are a holistic pharmacist specializing in helping women with hormone imbalance. So what are some of the common myths that you often see surrounding healing hormones when women might notice some of those symptoms that you mentioned and they, you know, there are so many things on the internet. What are some of the biggest myths that you see? Yeah. So I would say if I had to pick the biggest, like three the first one would be that birth control will fix the problem. 
because birth control is just basically saying, Hey, we think there's some dysfunction here. So let's just shut the whole system down. And that usually brings its own, um, pathway journey, things you have to work through afterwards. The second thing would be that losing weight will fix the problem. I think, I think society, not necessarily society, but I think diet culture kind of hopped in on this recognition that people were really like wanting to know more about their hormones and wanting to explore like true healing. And so they kind of stole the verbiage a little bit. And so now when people are recommending diets, they're saying, oh, well, they fix your hormones or they help balance your hormones. But a lot of the ones that I see marketed in that way, they don't. They may help with insulin sensitivity um, or they may in a short term container, if you already have balanced hormones, help keep things a little bit more adjusted. Um, But if, if I really were to look at some of these things that I see marketed as like hormone healthy diets, I would immediately be like, no, <laughs> like you need more fat than that. You won't make the right mm-hmm. amounts of estrogen. And a lot of times they figured out if we can interact with our insulin receptors, that influences estrogen. And yes, that's true, but it's not this independent um, container where we can just look at that and watch something happen without considering all of the other pathways hormone pathways, metabolic pathways that things like estrogen and progesterone um, interact with. And then I would say the third one is really that you need to go all in into like clean eating and just like quote unquote eating healthy. I think that's a huge misconception of like, well, if I eat healthy, if I eat clean, then I'm going to really support my hormones. And yeah, in some capacity, your hormones have better functioning. Everything in your body has better functioning, detoxing, less inflammation. If we pull out things that are highly processed, but coming in with this mentality of let me just eat clean foods and things that are quote unquote healthy, like salads and fruit and smoothies. We're not actually looking at, well, how are we stabilizing blood sugar, which plays a huge role in progesterone and estrogen function and balance. And then we're also kind of setting ourselves up to under eat. We're not really paying attention to fiber, which is crucial for um, estrogen metabolism. And so a lot of times we kind of, again, create this perfect storm of where we're doing everything we think we should be to be healthy and to help our body and to help our hormones, but we're kind of still missing the boat. And one way to kind of know if that's happening really is to look at like, what is the ultimate result we're looking for? So if someone's Mm -hmm. giving you a strategy and the result they're saying is something like weight loss, then I really tell people to take it a a step further and think about, well, why do I need weight loss? And then really Mm -hmm. evaluate, like, do I think I need to lose weight because I'm truly eating too many calories? Most women I work with, that's a big no. And when I think about someone who's steadily gaining weight because they're eating too many calories, I think about lots of fast food and foods out, lots of processed foods. And then also like eating really above like a 22 to 2,500 calorie range um, consistently with foods you don't love without working out. Like we kind of know those things. And so Mm -hmm. I hate to ever give people calorie markers, but I just say that hopefully to open people's eyes of like, if you were to track your food today, you probably have not had 2000 calories. Um, Most women. 
And if you have, there's no shame in that either. Like then yeah, pull back calories a tiny bit or clean up some things, but don't go all in on this total overhaul to chase weight loss mm-hmm. when the extra weight may not truly be there because there's a caloric issue. It possibly is there because there's a dysfunction that's going unrecognized and unhealed. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad that you brought that up right out the gate. We'll talk, we'll dig a little bit more into, into weight loss, I think in a little bit, because it is such a huge question mark for so many women. And I think it is so often prescribed as the answer to our hormone issues, especially PCOS. I know that I mentioned mm-hmm. in our last conversation and many of my listeners who have, who have been listeners know that I have dealt with PCOS for the past uh, about four years now and, or really since <laughs> really my whole life. I just didn't, was only diagnosed about four years ago. And I think I shared with you that, um, the, the midwife who finally diagnosed me was because I I was going, I had all these symptoms and I went doctor after doctor and they're like, I don't know what's going on. And then she was finally like, yeah, you fit the criteria for PCOS, except the fact that I am not obese. And so it was like, so there's not really much that we can tell you to do because you don't need to lose weight. And I was like, what do you mean? It was like, well, you could go on birth control. And I'm like, but I wanted, I, at that point, I wanted to have another, I wanted to try for another baby. There was no yeah. other solution for me. They were like, yeah, you just lose weight. But that wasn't getting to the root cause. <laughs> and that yeah. wasn't going to actually help me to heal my PCOS. And so, and then there are many women out there who go on these extreme diets and they, I, I know, cause I've, I've spoken to so many of them, they get caught in this cycle of on again, off again, dieting. Cause we know those extremes, they don't last. So even if they do feel some, they see the weight loss or they see some relief from their symptoms in the short term, they don't last long-term. And so I think there are so many women coming to you like Dr. Heather, what do I do? <laughs> because I've, I'm, I lost weight and then I gained it back and my hormones are still not healed. So yeah. I'm really glad that you brought that up because yeah, I think that's the, the weight loss component is so big. The just, you know, take the birth control pill and it'll fix things is such a common answer. And especially for the women who either don't want to go that route or they have, and they haven't responded well, or they want to have a baby in the future and maybe the near future, and they don't want to be on birth control. There's, oh my gosh, I'm sure there's so many women listening who are like, oh my gosh, please tell me what to do now that I know that these are huge myths, but they are, (laughs) they're not the solution. So I love that you are all about simplifying when it comes to balancing hormones. And I know that you mentioned in our last conversation, um, your free resource on simple shifts for hormone balance, um, which I also mentioned that I downloaded and I love, um, and we'll link that again in the show notes, of course. Um, but I want to dig into a couple of these simple daily shifts that you mentioned that women can take to start to get their hormones back into balance, because I think they're so simple, but I know that from my my own experience with hormone healing and from everything you teach, they're really profound changes, even though they're so simple. So one of the first ones, because you mentioned weight loss and we, and uh, you know, a lot of women feel like they are, they just need to cut their calories or they just need to go on a diet in order to lose weight or in order to balance their hormones. One of the things that you talk about is the importance of fat and getting enough fat. And I think that even though I think the low fat craze has largely turned into like a low carb craze, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we go through those phases in, in diet culture, right? Um, I think there is still a lot of fear around eating fat. So um, can you speak to this a little bit about the importance of fat, why eating too little fat can be detrimental to our hormones? I would love for you to kind of dig into that a little bit. Yeah. So there's actually, 
I feel like I want to say it's twofold, but I feel like it's actually like three or fourfold, but I'll kind of like break down each piece. So the first thing is that hormones, sex hormones um, in general are made out of cholesterol, which we know cholesterol is fat. And so we have cholesterol in our bodies, um, but we have to have an excess of it in order for our body to feel like it has enough to keep those female hormones in balance. And the reason for that is very different than it used to be because now our day-to-day lives give us so much of a stress input that a lot of the extra cholesterol our body has, the extra fats our body has, it's going towards making more of those neurotransmitters and adrenaline-based hormones because we're using so much more of them. And that's just like a normal day-to-day thing. And I think Mm -hmm. it's really super prominent with basically the social media digital world, because we've got stressors from the blue light. We've got stressors from working from home while having kids and trying to work, which increases the stressful setting. Clearly. (laughs) Um, We also have basically like this increased demand on our time. So we could be awake for 14 hours and be interacting and have people placing demands on our time, all 14 of those hours. Mm. And that's a really not normal thing, even as little as 10 years ago. Right. Yeah. So it starts with that. Then we also have, um, to consider that in order for like your body to keep those safety signals in place, when your body doesn't feel safe, it will shut down the reproductive system. So the first thing it'll shut down is estrogen and progesterone production, mainly progesterone because progesterone's job, it's our really nice relaxation hormone. And so it actually keeps stress hormone levels down. So a body that is thinking, I need to be stressed, I need stress hormones, is actually going to say, oh, well, this system is shutting down the amount of those that we have. So let's just shut the system down. So it will. And so that's kind of another piece of it. Um, And then we have to consider as well that most things in the standard American diet are really high in omega sixes and nines. Those are just types of fats that can cause inflammation. And so when I talk about increasing healthy fats, I'm thinking of some of these more, um, less refined, less processed, more type organic type. Um, I guess organic's not the right word there, but more plant-based type oils that have omega threes to help balance those sixes and nines to keep inflammation down because inflammation in your body is a stress signal. So once again, if you've got lots of inflammation, your body's going to think that something really stressful is happening and it's going to send the signal to shut down that progesterone production. And then you're missing out on this crucial hormone that you need to keep your stress levels balanced and to keep your estrogen balanced and to really help you have good ovulation and a steady transition into your period. Oh my gosh. You're blowing my mind over here. And I have been studying hormones for so many years and it makes so much sense. I know that we need cholesterol to produce hormones, but I never thought of it like that, that we are basically using up that cholesterol that are, that we are consuming or that our body is producing because our body does produce it and we consume some of it on those stress hormones. And then they're not going to our reproductive hormones. And that makes so much sense. And, And like you mentioned too, in times of stress, which so many of us are in on a daily basis, just those little daily stressors. And then bigger stressors. I know that personally, my, my period is the first thing to go as soon as I get stressed out. Like I know that I am in a state of stress when, and and part of this is that my hormones are a little bit more sensitive with, you know, my, my PCOS and just in general, but 
I know that if my period goes or it's a little bit late, then it's because I'm stressed out and, and it it makes so much sense. So yeah. So getting in those healthy fats is so important. And oh my gosh, I think there's so many women out there who are like, wait a second. Did she just say cholesterol? Did she just say that we're supposed to eat more fat that we're supposed to have cholesterol? Cause we've been told for so many years, you're not supposed to have fats because of the cholesterol, but we need them to, we need it to produce hormones. And this doesn't mean that we need to eat like two sticks of butter a day. I'm assuming. <laughs> yeah. That's getting... all about that balance there. Yes, of those three yeah. sixes and nine. So, yes. um, yeah, it definitely matters how we add in those fats too, because we don't just want to be having like that's, and that's kind of why, you know, people go into, and I didn't even talk about this other piece of it, but the other great part of fats is that it helps stabilize our blood sugar. And we know that blood sugar is what's regulating a lot of the stress hormones and female hormones as well, especially in something like PCOS. Um, so that's kind of why keto diets have become the hot thing because they were like, oh, well we need fats. So let's only eat fats. Um, and we kind of like swung to the entire opposite side mm-hmm. of the pendulum. And then, you know, when we think like, oh, well, we need to eat more cholesterol and we eat a lot of those sixes and nines and animal fats that cause a lot of inflammation, it actually doesn't get us those results we want either. Mm -hmm. So it definitely comes down to kind of the science of understanding the multifaceted roles that the fats have. Yes. Yeah. I'm glad that you mentioned that because it it really is, you know, I'm all about balance and it is all about balance. So do you have any ways that you love to personally add in more healthy fats kind of in your daily life? I know we've talked about the fact that, you know, you eat a lot of simple meals just because you're a a busy mom and business owner yourself, but are there any, any ways that you love to, to bring those into your, to your routine? Yes. So first I will say, if you're listening and like dying to know this answer, get the guide, the freebie um, (laughs) that I have, because it lists out like all the ideas, all the ways that I encourage women, like, how do you do this? Like, what does this look like on a day-to-day basis? Um, So I really help women kind of figure out what are the meals you love? What are you already eating? And then what sources of fats are in there? And do we need to either add fat because you don't have any Or do we need to add a healthier, like plant-based fat because you've got more of those like sixes and nines. So if we took breakfast, for example, and like your breakfast was eggs, um, bacon, and a piece of jelly toast every morning, then I would say, Hey, that sounds great, but could we possibly figure out a way to swap either eggs or bacon, or some days have eggs or bacon. Some days have eggs and avocado. Some days have bacon and avocado. And now essentially we've created this balance where we're not having two sources of a more inflammation type of fat, but we've added in some of these healthier fats that have a little bit of fiber as well. Mm -hmm. Um, but I always tell people like, go with what you like, go with what you're already having and eating. Um, because that's going to make a huge difference. If, if I was to come in and say like, okay, well, this is what your breakfast needs to be. And this is what your lunch needs to be. I really find that that's why things aren't sustainable because we don't work with what we're already doing. And so that's like my favorite thing is to say like, okay, well, what do you, what do you like to have? What do you do? What do you like for breakfast every morning? For me, smoothies do work really well. I just think smoothies again, like we're kind of taught in this clean eating, healthy world that smoothies are like juice and berry based. And Mm -hmm. that just is spiking blood sugar and causing fatigue and PMS and estrogen problems. So instead I say, okay, let's make a smoothie, but make it really high fat. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And I don't say ever to really restrict carbs, but for me personally, I have a lot more fats in the morning and then more carbs at night, which actually helps to pattern the way cortisol naturally patterns as well. Um, because some healthy carbs, some longer acting carbs can help calm cortisol down. And if you have those later in the day, then you're kind of working with that system. So that way your brain is kind of shutting down as you're preparing to relax and go to bed. Um, So yeah, I think it's really all about looking first at what you're eating, what you like to eat, and then thinking about what easy swaps can I make? So could I swap a dairy milk for a high fat plant-based milk? Um, Mm -hmm. Could I swap, I'm trying to think, could I swap, um, or like, could I add something? So if you love cereal in the mornings, could you add something to your cereal, like a handful of nuts or some chia seeds or some coconut milk to that cereal? So -hmm. that way you're not just having... um, you're not just having a snack that's all carbs. Yes. Oh my gosh. I love that. I am all about adding instead of subtracting. That is one of the tenets to my philosophy when it comes to creating more balance is how can we add things in to what we're already doing, exactly what you're saying, instead of feeling like we need to take things away. So I love that. And I am all about blood sugar balance because I think that it is so key to feeling like our energy and our mood and our focus is really balanced throughout the day. And it has that benefit of also balancing our hormones. Um, that's the main reason why our mood and our focus is balanced when we (laughs) balance our blood sugar, right? So I love that. So we'll have them go and get your guide and have more examples, but I'm nodding along with you over here. Just thinking about some of the ways that I love to add fat to my food too. I talk a lot from a culinary perspective too. I love bringing in um, both the, the balanced eating and then bringing in, you know, the culinary side of things and fat adds mouthfeel and it adds flavor. And when, and so it makes our food naturally more satisfying from both that blood sugar perspective and then also from a culinary perspective. So I'm such a big fan of bringing in fats to make your meals more satisfying too. And I think if women have been without it for so long, it's like, oh my goodness, these meals are just so much more delicious when I add some full fat coconut milk to my smoothie or, you know, I have that avocado with breakfast. It's, it's just so good. So another thing that um, you've already talked about a little bit, but I would love to to just dive a little bit deeper in because I know that I I mentioned that whenever I am stressed, the first thing to go is my period, which is a huge indicator that my hormones are out of balance. Um, but one of the other big things that you mentioned is stress. And I don't know a single woman I talk to who doesn't feel stressed at some point every week, if not every day. <laughs> so can you speak to a little bit about stress and its role in hormone balance? I know you already mentioned kind of the the stress hormones that are utilizing the cortisol, not the cortisol, that cortisol is one of them, um, but that are using the cholesterol that our reproductive hormones need. Um, So can you speak a little bit more to the role that stress plays and maybe how reducing stress has an impact on our, our female hormones as a whole? Yes. So this is a huge, like, I feel like such a broad subject because I could talk on it for forever. (laughs) I have an entire course just on like, how do you lower stress from like a physiological standpoint? Because we think of stress and we think of like, oh, I'm mentally stressed, right? Like it's really stressful to have to watch my kids and cook dinner and do laundry and, you know, et cetera. 
I think of stress not as like, that's one piece of it, but your body is getting stress signals all day, every day. Every single thing we do is actually your body's interpreting it. Even the thoughts you have, like your actual thoughts, it's your body's thinking like, is this something that's activating stress and we need to be on alert? Or is this something that is relaxing and we can calm down a little bit? And I think again, that even as simple as the scrolling and the dopamine hits and everything that we're kind of like getting all day, it's just activating our stress system like crazy. And I don't think women are taught, how do we turn that down? How do we turn it off? How do we lower that input? Because your body's getting input every day. And if you're not intentional about what the input is, it ends up being things that lead to dysfunction. But if you can get really intentional about thinking about what the input you're giving is, you can change it with some really simple steps. Um, And so what usually happens is we don't ever think about this. We just go, we push through, we just do what we need to do. And so instead our hormones suffer because all of this internal stress is happening and our body's feeling all this stress. And we don't know about it until we've got a major symptom. Mm. And then we're trying to figure out what's happened, but the dysregulation and dysfunctions already occurred. And so one of the ways that this, the reason really that all of this happens is because those same hormones that activate, um, our stress system that shut down our female reproductive system are the same hormones that keep our heart beating. And as a body that is designed to really follow through with like survival of the fittest, your body's going to keep your heart beating above everything else. This is even why, um, you know, like if someone were to have like a major injury, the reason we kind of could potentially, this is a little more violent than I thought, but the reason like essentially people bleed out is because their heart starts pumping super, super fast because it's like, we need more blood. We need more blood. Your body has tons and tons of systems in there to keep your heart beating at all costs. And so Mm -hmm. when it starts realizing, Hey, we're using a lot of these stress hormones. Hey, there's a lot of stress signals coming out. Hey, like we're not getting a ton of sleep. We're running from something every single day. Like something dangerous is happening. It's saying, all right, then if we got pregnant, that's going to decrease our ability to thrive. So Mm -hmm. we need to shut down that system because that's not what we want. I teach women all the time. Your body really has three core design and functions that it's doing every single day, whether you want it to or not. It's trying to keep your heart beating because obviously, I mean, we don't even have to think about that. It just does it. It's also trying to get you pregnant. You're trying to reproduce all the time. Even if you don't want to, your body wants you to, because that is just the intricate like design of how every system was created inside your body is to basically achieve fertility. Um, And then it's also trying to figure out patterns. So that way it can make all of these processes happen as easy with as little energy and effort as possible. Our bodies are like super, super efficient. This is why it will change and adapt based off of the input you give it. So an example of that, um, is essentially let's think of your sleep and someone turns on the light, the light coming on is an input signal and that wakes you up. So that activated that system to wake you up. And so then that happens the same time every single day. And then eventually you start waking up on your own at that time. That's your body creating an input signal. 
Same thing with like, sometimes we usually get hungry around the same time of day. That's usually, this is one thing my clients tell me all the time. Like, I'm not hungry for breakfast. I'm not hungry for breakfast. And I'm like, yeah, cause you don't eat breakfast. So your, your body has turned down the metabolism. It's not doing all of this extra work just for the sake of it. It's saying, why would we do this work? She's not going to give us food till 11 o'clock. So we're not even going to wake up until 11 o'clock. Um, so that's kind of what's happening there. And when you know that that's kind of what your body's trying to do day in and day out, you can use that system to change the input get these stress signals to be lowered, to get your female hormones to be higher, to really achieve some of these health and wellness goals that we have. It's just that no one teaches us how to do that. And so when we're not being intentional with it, something's still happening. We just aren't aware of it until there's a major problem. Mm. Yes. Oh my gosh. I love, I love that you got a little bit silent sciencey there. And so that we could really understand that. I love that you talk about those three kind of core roles that our body is playing. Because I think oftentimes we we do think of hormones as just being those reproductive hormones, but we forget that they are also keeping our heart beating and helping us to manage stress. And that when that is what our body is just is is trying to deal with on that day-to-day basis, then it is going to downregulate and we're going to experience those symptoms. So I would love to know maybe some of the ways that you would recommend women begin to start to tackle the stress. So we have those stresses of our everyday life, right? And we can't, we can't do anything. Like you said, we can't do anything about the fact that we've got kiddos that need us to take care of them or that there's laundry that needs to be done or that we have 50 bazillion Zoom meetings during the day. So what are some of the ways that we can kind of gently combat that and that and change that input without adding more stress to our lives. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, number one would be definitely thinking about your thoughts, right? So like I was mentioning, your thoughts have the power to increase stress or decrease stress. So that matters. Um, I also encourage women. I'm trying, I'm thinking of like everything in my course and I'm like, how do I keep, how do I bring this to like, they just just need to take your course. (laughs) Um, if you can pick some strategies that work for you to lower stress and do them a couple times during the day, your body will actually figure out that that's a pattern and it'll start trying to lower those stress hormones a couple times during the day. Um, another piece of that. And when I talk about those activities, I even mean things like deep breathing. There's certain poses you can do. Um, man, there's, I have a whole section of like eight ways you can lower stress and it's just quick, easy five minute or less things you can do to send your body that signal. And if you pick a handful of those and do them a couple times a day, then your body's naturally kind of getting in this habit to have those lower stress signals. Another thing women can do is make sure that they're turning off their fight or flight after they turn it on. So if you're doing something like exercise, or even if you're just in traffic and you notice that like your fight or flight got turned on, then it's really helpful to do some intentional work to turn it off. And it's really easy to do. We just have to know like, oh, okay, let's like actually take the time to do this and turn that system down. So that way we're not just all like running in fight or flight all the time. Um, Another piece of that as well is really kind of understanding what self-care is. So self-care, a lot of times we think is like bubble baths and painting our nails and getting a massage. But what it actually is, 
is truly setting those boundaries to keep our stress system from being overactivated all the time. And to put it in a really practical standpoint, if you think about how we take care of our kids, like we wouldn't let our kids go until two o'clock without eating. We wouldn't let our kids have unlimited screen time. We wouldn't let our kids be on their tablets at 10 o'clock when they're going to bed at 1030. Like there's very like just kind of innate things we know that our kids need in order to stay healthy, to stay like regulated and not acting crazy all the time. And so if we could you know, kind of apply those same principles to ourselves, then that's actually self-care. That's actually taking care of yourself. Um, The other stuff is great. And I think they're wonderful strategies. And I actually map out, you know, how do you create a stress management or stress strategy where you're not now managing stress because it's built up and built up and built up. You're actually preventing stress and you have a maintenance strategy to keep the stress in your life at bay so that it doesn't knock you out. Because one thing about our bodies is that they get louder. And so if we, if it gives us a small symptom or a small signal and we don't hear it and know how to respond, it'll get louder until we have to change something. Um, And that just goes back to those patterns and adaptation that we have. Um, And so I really think that being super proactive and kind of learning these things before there's a major problem with your female hormones can actually be really helpful. And, and again, I know we kind of mentioned PCOS because that's such a huge piece of PCOS. I like to tell people too, sometimes like PCOS really just means that you've got a stress system that's been activated and shut down that female system. So once your body does that once, it kind of thinks that's its safe place. So mm-hmm. it's almost like if you took a shortcut on your way to work and it worked every time, then you would keep doing it when you needed to. And our body does the same thing. That's kind of what the state of PCOS is, is really our body saying, oh no, like stress signals are high. Something's off again. So we're just going to resort back to that pattern we typically have of shutting down that female reproductive system. Uh, I love that so many of your suggestions are preventative and not just reactionary though. So many of us are in that place of I, this is so hard to not just smile at him the whole time. (laughs) For those of you who are listening, you can, you can probably hear the, you can hear the adorable baby. You can't see him unfortunately, because he's so cute. (laughs) I love it so much. We're all moms around here. So it's, it's great. (laughs) Um, I love that it's both preventative and also, you know, so many of us are in this place already of feeling like, okay, my hormones are really imbalanced and I, I am reacting to these symptoms, but I love that it's not just about healing our hormones once and for all or dealing with the stress once and for all because the stress is going to come up and it's those everyday stresses are going to come up. I love the, you know, the idea of kind of doing the opposite of that fight or flight and turning that down after it's happened, whether it is that crazy traffic or the stressful experience and really being proactive about these things becoming new patterns and becoming daily habits so that we don't end up in this place of, you know, being really reactionary to these kind of bigger 
hormonal imbalances. So since you already mentioned PCOS, I would love to dig into PCOS specifically, not just because it's something that I have worked through um, myself, but because it is something that I know that so many of the women in my community have. And we've had some other people on talk about it from different perspectives, um, but I love your really balanced approach to PCOS. I think that your guide to PCOS, just the the free one that you have on your website, I was like getting giddy listening or reading it because I'm like, I love your list of avoids, things that we've already talked about, like don't restrict food groups, eating low calorie and over-exercising, detoxes, cleanses, these things that actually we think that are going to work to help our PCOS, whether it's going to help us. We already talked about, you know, weight loss, and we can talk about that a little bit more. Um, but and, and how that is not the end all be all solution to PCOS. And we think that these things are they're good, right? But they oftentimes cause extra stress on our bodies. So we have talked already about how moving away from the kind of good and bad mindset around food, the like restricting food groups and this really unhealthy pattern with food is not the solution to PCOS. So where do you recommend women start then? So they, if they are in this kind of unhealthy stress cycle of PCOS, where do they start if they have gone to their doctor or whoever it is and they're like, well, just lose weight. And maybe they've done that and maybe it's worked, maybe it hasn't, but it hasn't actually helped with their PCOS symptoms. So where do you recommend they start? Yeah. So the first place has got to be diving deeper into what is causing the imbalance. So a lot of, I know there's types of PCOS and we could go into all of the different types, but they're so interlapping. I find that it's kind of hard when you're like, I think I have adrenal based PCOS, but that can come from having inflammation. So maybe you have inflammation based PCOS and both inflammation and your adrenals can cause insulin resistance. So it kind of interlaps. So I know a lot of people say to start there, but I really encourage people to kind of think more so about what are all like, what is this holistic picture of my body telling me? So are there other things happening? Do I have some autoimmune conditions? Could I possibly be, you know, when did all of this start? So for me, my kind of season of it was after intense diet and exercise. And so it was almost this, um, survival mechanism my body went into because of how little I was eating for such a long period of time with also exercise. So I would say first, you kind of want to do a little bit of that research. If it's something that, you know, is quote unquote genetic or something you've always had, it probably is one of the more common types, which is insulin resistant. Um, and what that just means really is that, and actually this kind of goes across the board is that we really want to look at using nutrition and movement and supplements in a way that supports healing of the actual dysfunction that's going on. So we know the dysfunction is that there's an imbalance between estrogen and progesterone and testosterone. That's kind of what we know is happening. So if we start treating ourselves in this way of, okay, how do I really optimize all of these hormones at the appropriate level, then your body starts doing it on its own. It starts trying to get them back into balance. It's just, we have to know why are they imbalanced and how can I take an approach that utilizes strategies that I can stick with to start shifting them back into balance. And a lot of times it's the simplest things like hormone support. And so 
when we think of like, okay, well, what does that mean? It means we think about how can we stabilize blood sugar? How can we decrease stress signals? How can we utilize supplements to help us stabilize blood sugar and decrease stress signals if we need to? Um, I feel like that's a great place to start. I would also say another key piece of this is understanding what PCOS is. Mm -hmm. I think so many, I do a PCOS VIP group and each round, we have about 20 women. And each time I'd say more than 60% of them don't even know what PCOS is, what it means. They've just always been told they have it, or they've never been told they have it. And they join the program because they have all the symptoms of PCOS and they knew, okay, even if my doctor's not telling me I have it, I could probably apply these same strategies to optimize my female hormones, optimize fertility hormones, even if you don't want to get pregnant, you optimize fertility hormones and you immediately feel like 60, 70 times better <laughs> because that's what your body wants to be doing. Um, so I think you have to understand what's happening. You have to understand what's your, what are your hormones doing all month? When are your site, your symptoms showing up? And then potentially what are some other factors from this more bird's eye holistic view that could be influencing things and go after those things first with those small sustainable shifts. So let's talk about the elephant in the room then when it comes to PCOS. So understanding PCOS is important, starting with those really small shifts to work on our PCOS symptoms is important. But I know that the elephant in the room is that a lot of women, depending on the type of PCOS that they're experiencing, like you mentioned, do want to lose weight. And that weight loss is something that they are, they're looking for, or maybe they've gained weight in, you know, as, as one of their symptoms. And so I would love, you know, I know we, we kind of talked a little bit about your story and, and my story and our struggles with food. I would love if you would talk a little bit about, you know, what we talked about, how losing weight isn't necessarily the solution, but could weight loss be a result of healing our hormones? And why is that? Yeah, I love this. Um, and you actually like hit on it a second ago. And when you were talking about fats increasing our satisfaction center. And I was like, Oh, I want to go there. So I'm really glad we're going there now. Mm -hmm. So usually weight loss is a symptom. And so in order to achieve weight loss, most of the time we have to activate the cortisol pathway. So that's what under eating over exercising any type of diet does is it basically goes to our cortisol pathway and says, Hey, something like really stressful is happening. You need to be able to get away as fast as possible. And so all this extra fat, we need to start breaking down, storing for later and getting off of you so that you can be fast. That works great until your body says, Oh gosh, we're really not going to have anything. So we need to actually go into survival mode and start keeping every single thing we eat turn it into fat. We need to deposit a lot of fat cells around our most important organs, which for a female is going to be that like lower pooch area above our uterus, um, or around outside of our ovaries and uterus, our hips, all of those places that keep, you know, where a baby would be safe. And so what I see most often is that dieting both causes PCOS, worsens PCOS, but then can be used as a solution for PCOS. And I say dieting, I say, I should say a diet, um, or I should say our diet. So the reason that it doesn't quite work the same if someone has PCOS 
well, really the reason it doesn't really work for anybody is because we try to diet all the time and we try to diet long-term. There's not really these seasons of, okay, let me do some healing and restoring. Then let me diet a little bit. Then let me maintain. Then maybe I fall into a little bit of healing and restoring again. So then I'll diet for a little bit. And if we look in nature, we see this happen with lots of other animals that don't even have the like thought process to think about how they look. They just naturally go through seasons of actually like adding and storing energy and then utilizing that energy and then it's being expended in a different way and kind of preparing for that. So when we come at that approach, then it actually means that if you've got active PCOS symptoms, you've got to heal the dysfunction first, because if you just Mm -hmm. try to diet by taking away support, it's going to activate that cortisol pathway. And then your PCOS symptoms are worse. And a lot of times I just see either weight stays the same or people gain weight. And so anytime someone has said like, I've gained so I, you know, was on this diet and then I stopped and then I gained 20 pounds in a month. Anytime I hear someone say they gained a ton of weight in a short period of time, that's like the immediate key that your body, that means your body was asking for support. You took support away. Then you gave it back and your body was like, great. She will may never, ever give us this again. So we need to go straight into survival mode. And that's really hard mentally to understand because we think it means oh my gosh, I'm eating too much. The things I'm eating aren't healthy enough. The things I'm eating aren't clean enough. And we kind of forget that maybe the response our body is having right now is a result of what we just put our body through. Mm -hmm. And so you may have done a diet for six weeks, stopped, and all of a sudden six weeks later, you're gaining all this weight and you think it's because of what you're doing now when actually it was what you did in those six weeks before. Mm -hmm. So in terms of women with PCOS, what I teach them is, We've got to heal the hormones. We've got to heal the PCOS symptoms. So we need to utilize diet and nutrition to do that first. When your symptoms are gone, you have a predictable period. You have tons of energy. You're not having a lot of breakouts. Your sleep is good. Like you're at like 90% and you maintain there for a good, like, I like to say eight months, because usually if you do it for eight months, it doesn't matter what you weigh, your body will figure out that it's going to consistently get resources and it'll drop extra weight. Your body doesn't want extra weight. And Mm. it's actually working with you to get rid of extra weight when you actually move towards healing versus when you try to control it and put in those regulations of like, Hey, you can only have this many calories and we're going to activate cortisol. Then you're working against your body and it's going to try to gain weight when you're trying to lose weight. But if you heal your body, it's going to try to lose the extra weight. And then if you're coming from a place of healing, if we've fixed disruption and dysfunction, if we're managing cortisol and stress, and we've got a lot of resiliency to stress, meaning that we can increase the stress a little bit by decreasing calories a little bit or increasing movement a little bit, your body will respond amazingly. I mean, it's almost like magic because your body doesn't want the extra weight and you don't want the extra weight. So now you're working together to get a little bit of weight off. The problem is we just have to be really careful that the strategies we take to lose weight once we're there aren't extreme. They're not crazy that we're doing them for a specified time period and then stopping. Um, And also that we have a really clear picture of like, Hey, we lost five pounds. That's good for now. We might want to lose 30, but let's lose five for now. Give our body four weeks to kind of feel better and then lose five again. 
Yeah. Yeah. I love that you are emphasizing that it's about these, it's about healing first and foremost, and that it's about working with our bodies instead of this constant place of trying to control our body. I know I remember a time where I was just so afraid of changing anything in my routine because if I changed anything in my routine, I was so afraid that I was going to gain weight back, which was true. I did. As soon as I changed anything in my routine, I gained weight back. And it was because my body was in this place of survival mode. I wasn't allowing it to heal for so many years. And and then once I did, once I did get to this place of healing, weight isn't even an issue for me. I don't, I don't weigh myself anymore because my body stayed, you know, generally the same size for several years now. And it's really only a result of actually ditching the diets and healing my hormones and getting to a place where my body's in balance and, and learning exactly what you said to work with my body. And I think if more women had that mindset of working with their body and creating sustainable changes and not going to these extremes, then they would find this place of balance and their weight would stabilize to a place that they're comfortable with and that they can, you know, maintain and and that they can actually feel good. I know those things that you describe, like um, feeling like you can manage your stress and sleeping well and having clear skin and all of these things. I know so many women are probably like, wait, you can have all those things at once. <laughs> but that's the result of, of healing our hormones and getting to this, this place of balance. So yeah. I love that you are bringing that to women. Oh my goodness. That's like my favorite thing to teach too, is that like, when you're not chasing a result, but you're actually chasing healing, you can watch like six symptoms fix themselves at the same time. And it's like, oh my gosh, what do you mean? And it's like, yeah, like your body knows how to put it all back together. It's just, you've got to give it the pieces and you've got to let it know, Hey, it's a safe time to do that. Um, and I'm, mine's, I'm the same way. Like I spent years fighting my body, fighting my weight, trying to look a certain way, and went through, I mean, again, years of hormone dysfunction and dysregulation and like all the stuff. But once I got really consistent of like, I don't care what happens, I'm going to heal. And I'm only going to use my symptoms as my guide and never care about the weight or the scale again, which I mean, obviously that takes a lot of work and some therapy. Mm -hmm. um, but once you get to that place, it's so... But once you get to that place, it's so easy to just really start, you know, doing some small things. Like I now can say, Hey, I'm going to not have a serving of ice cream for, you know, the next four weeks. And maybe I'll slim down a little bit, or I'm going to add in some extra yoga or an extra day of, you know, whatever workout I'm doing. And it's like this one small change. And I, I literally feel like after three weeks, my body's like, Oh, cool. Here are your abs again. And I'm like, what? Like, I, it would, I would have done anything for this three years ago. Um, not that I have abs, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so it is, it's so nice that you can be in this place where you can so easily manage it and do small things to see big changes. Yes. Yeah. So easily managing our hormones and being like on the same team as our body is so yeah. huge and, and being able to just make those small shifts and, and see those changes is, oh my gosh, it's, it's such a game changer. I love that so much. So I have a couple of questions that kind of popped up as we've been having 
as we've been having this conversation and I know you already, you mentioned keto as one thing kind of being an extreme, but there's a couple of things, a couple of kind of hormone balance questions that I haven't had an expert on to ask about. And I would love to ask you a couple of those kind of, kind of quick, maybe not quick questions if you, if you're up for it. <laughs> yes. So the first thing that I hear a lot from women is one of the big things now is intermittent fasting. So how do you feel about women and hormones and intermittent fasting? I know there's a lot out there. I feel like I knew that's where we were going because I hear about intermittent fasting all the time. It is the hot new thing. So there's a couple reasons. It kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier with, um, it does, it can improve some insulin levels and change some metabolic speed, if that makes sense. Um, but a lot of the studies for that are done in males. And so when we think about even the word fasting, that's essentially a state of telling your body like, Hey, we don't have a lot of resources right now. Like it's fasting and our body can definitely go into feast or famine mode. But what does that look like? Think about what that looks like. Feast mode means that your body is eating a lot, saving things, storing things, holding on to things. And then we go into famine mode where it's letting go of everything, right? And so it's kind of the same thing that we're activating a little bit. So number one, I think women respond insanely different. I know women respond insanely differently to intermittent fasting than men do. That's kind of like the first piece of it. Um, The second piece is I find, again, that if you are truly eating above your metabolic, resting metabolic rate with an excess and have great hormone balance, you could apply intermittent fasting and probably do great, lose some weight, not have a ton of symptoms, improve your insulin sensitivity, and feel really good for six weeks. That should be it. And then you can go on and do, you know, your regular life and then use it again when you want to. The problem is we do it long-term. We do it all the time. We try to suppress our appetite with basically like... (laughs) deposits of coffee because we're just pairing coffee with a ton of fat. So now that caffeine activation has been rolling. I have a lot of women that come to me after intermittent fasting because their hormones are just in a total storm. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's still an input signal, right? So you're sending your body an input that says, Hey, resources are restricted. We don't, you don't have everything you need. Um, another piece of that is that that's an added stressor, right? So anytime we're actively losing weight, that's an added stressor. So if your stress isn't already managed and in a really good spot and we add a stressor to that, then we're most likely going to see dysfunction kind of show its face underlying dysfunction that was already there that we may not have known about. Um, so that's kind of another piece to the puzzle. So for most women, again, if they're just trying to lose weight and they feel great otherwise, then you could try it. I say a mild version is okay. Um, because there is, there is great data to show that it helps improve the way our body responds to insulin. And insulin is a huge driver of estrogen activity, PCOS, lots of stuff. Um, but if you've got any active symptoms, if you have fatigue, if you have low libido, if you have acne, if you have, um, irregular cycles, heavy cycles, migraines, like No, that's your body saying, I need more support. And any type of diet, including intermittent fasting, is taking away support. And so you can't even approach that diet in a 
healed spot to see the types of results you're looking for. So most likely you're going to do it and your symptoms are either going to get louder or worse, or you'll lose weight and then you'll gain it all because your body needed support. Support was taken away. And so it went straight into survival mode. And then when you come out of that, it's like, oh, right. The gate, like all bets are off. Let's to go. And that's usually why people end up weighing more post diet than they do during a diet. Um, or, you know, before the diet, I think most diets have a two to 6% success rate. Mm -hmm. And so that's like, if I were to sell my program and say it has a two to 6% success rate, (laughs) people would be like, no way I'm not buying that. Right. But those before and after pictures will get us every time. They just need to show like a before and after and an after, after, which is like six months down the road. Right. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I'm so glad you cleared that up because I I do. It's the hot new thing and everyone is showing all these results from my six weeks of intermittent fasting, right? But then what happens after? And so I'm glad you emphasize that we need to be in a really, really healthy place, which most people are experiencing, especially the women who are listening. They're probably experiencing some symptoms that they want relief from and it, it might not be the solution for them. So something that you mentioned, and I almost, I'm asking this for my listeners, but I'm going to like plug my ears and say, la, 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 while I ask you this. (laughs) Okay. Caffeine and our hormones. Tell me, tell me about caffeine and our hormones. (laughs) (laughs) So caffeine is a stress input signal. And, um, I utilize a strategy around caffeine very particularly inside all of my programs. Um, And I will say it is probably one of the best kept secrets ever Mm -hmm. because caffeine is just destroying our hormones. Mm -hmm. And so if you can have someone really help you understand the capacity it can be used in and the types it can be used in, then I think that is something that's really, really needed. But in general, I think we have so we have enough stressors in our life that to activate that stress system all day and then shut down our body's natural stress system, I think that it is, I know that it is a root of almost every person that comes to me with fatigue. And I have specific strategies on like why and how and a lot of science behind that. And I hate to even, as much as you're plugging your ears, I'm almost like (laughs) my own ears that I'm saying it out loud. Because if I were to tell women, stop drinking caffeine, nobody would come work with me ever. (laughs) (laughs) But it is a secret weapon I have in my tool belt because I've never, ever, ever had a client that I have given a strategy around caffeine come back to me and not say, or I've never had a client come back to me and say, I'm just going to go back to the coffee. I, I just felt that good while I was drinking it. Um, yeah. Whereas I've had probably 90, well, it's got to be hundred percent if none of them have come back that have said, oh my gosh, I probably have 95%. There's probably that, those few stragglers that are like, eh, I think I really like it. I'm going to stick with it. But the majority say the results are beyond what they would have ever imagined. And they would never think that their coffee or their caffeine was causing the problem. Um, but it does, it's definitely a stress input signal for sure. But that doesn't mean you just need to go stop coffee today because I believe there should be a strategic approach to that too, because it's just like a hormone signal. And so 
your body's adjusted the amount of hormones it has based off of the amount of caffeine you're having. And so we actually want to set you up to be able to remove it if you choose to in a way that's not going to, um, in a way that's not going to like cause you to have this overlap where you don't have any of the hormones you need. And now you don't have the caffeine that the caffeine was taking the place of. Yes. Yeah. That makes so much sense. So I have switched to half calf. I love coffee and my listeners know they're probably rolling their eyes right now. Like we know, Chris, we know how much you love coffee. (laughs) So I am, I'm working on working towards decaf because I know that half calf is not enough. I know it triggers my anxiety. I had an anxiety attack last year that was like kind of unexpected. I knew I was under stress, but I didn't realize how stressed I was until I ended up with a full blown anxiety attack. And so I took caffeine out for a while. Of course, it always helps my hormones. When I was doing my initial PCOS healing, I also took caffeine out, but then I had another baby and the excuse of, well, I've got a little baby and, you know, now I have to survive the day. The coffee came back, the full strength coffee came back in and I cut down to half calf and less of it in the last year, but I'm, I'm working towards, I'm working towards it, but I love it so much, but I love that you have strategies to both reduce it and then that it does. I know it makes such a difference. And so I don't want to hear it, but I also wanted you to say it because <laughs> I know how powerful it can be. Yeah, it definitely does. And the thing is, um, I think a lot of us like don't realize I mean, I know we hear like sugar is a drug, blah, 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 but like caffeine actually is a drug. Like the (laughs) way caffeine was studied and like just kind of knowing the science behind how we even came around caffeine when we were obviously taught that in like pharmacy and pharmacology and stuff like that. Um, It's just so interesting to me that like (laughs) we're all just out here, normal people jacked up on it all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So yeah, yeah, it's definitely playing a really, and people will say all the time, like, I don't want to be on medicine my whole life, but then I'm like, well, what about coffee? And they're like, I'll drink it till I die. And I'm like, well, <laughs> yes, you are so, hearing from a pharmacist right now. Everyone caffeine is definitely a drug. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay. It's I also, have... Sorry. I just have to oh, yeah, no, go for it. It's also about like, what do you, do you like, what, how much effort do people want to put in? And I always tell people like, not even how much effort, but like what effort, like, do you want to pull out caffeine or do you want to pull out gluten or do you want to pull out dairy? Do you want to pull out sugar? Do you want to like, you don't have to do everything all at once. You don't even have to pull out something completely, but it's definitely kind of thinking like, okay, well, what's the biggest bang for our buck type of change we want to make. So if you don't have time to, you know, do 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes of things to lower your stress and adjust your schedule and really prioritize stress management, then maybe coffee is an easy thing to pull away. If you really want to keep coffee and you have the time to add in those other things, then do that. If you don't want to pay to delegate some of your tasks so that you can have less stress or so that you can sleep longer, then like that's totally cool. But a lot of times coffee is just that biggest bang for your buck type of transition that once we initially kind of get through it, people do really, really well. Um, So I just, I just like to put it in that perspective too, because people are always like, well, should I get rid of this? Should I get rid of that? Should I get rid of it? And it's like, do you want to, what do you want to get rid of? Like, Mm. what is easiest for you? What takes the less time? What season are you in? You may be in a season now where getting rid of coffee works great. And then you may be in a season next month where you've, 
just come into a ton of time and you're on a retreat in Bali and you can just do all the relaxful things and coffee doesn't really affect you. Um, it really is. I like to teach people. It's kind of like a bank account. So if you're taking all of these withdrawals out of your bank account and not depositing anything in, then you've got to do something. You've either got to make a deposit or you've got to lessen your withdrawals because Mm. it doesn't matter what you're doing. If the money runs out, the money runs out. And so I tell people a lot that like, if you don't have time to make a lot of deposits and there's some withdrawals that you're not willing to give up, then pick those smaller ones and start pulling them or give more deposits. You really get to choose. You just have to know which is doing what. Mm, Oh my gosh. I love that analogy. That simplifies things so much because it's like, you don't have to take everything away or do all the things. But also if you do just take everything away and you're not putting anything back in, that might not be doing anything either. It is about those small shifts in either direction. So, oh my gosh, I love this so much. There's so much I could talk to you for literally hours about this. I find it so fascinating. I love that you mentioned some of the resources that you have for women too. You know, I I mentioned your um, first few steps to, I, I'm butchering the name, but your, your simple Next. steps to hormone healing. And we'll link that in the show notes. And then you also have your PCOS guide and we'll link that in the show notes as well. Cause those are really, really great places to start. And then you have your, your courses for the women who want to dig deeper and they want more one-on-one and, or more individualized support from you as well. Um, but I would love to just kind of wrap up with any, maybe last pieces of advice or encouragement for the woman listening who is struggling with hormone imbalance, whether it's PMS or PCOS or anything else that might be going on. Maybe maybe anything that you didn't share that you want to or, or just some last pieces of encouragement. Yeah. I think the biggest thing is just to know that when you start supporting your hormones, it's almost a foolproof plan because your body is already doing the work to bring things back into balance. And all you're doing is helping that happen faster. And that's kind of one of the ways that I really feel, you know, if someone were to say like, why are your clients so successful? Why do your clients have such good results? And I'm like, it's not me. It's because we're just doing, it's it's how our bodies were designed. Mm -hmm. It's just that we happen to live in a society where we're not taught that and nobody's teaching us the ways to work with it to get the results. Your body is doing it. Um, and also there's tons of women who I feel like just think it's just them. They think it's their fault. They think they don't have willpower. They think they don't have discipline. They think that they just can't seem to work hard enough to get those results they want, um, or to get their body to function the right way. And I just, I truly don't believe that. I haven't had a client where that's happened. Like every time it's just so amazing to watch women start to realize like, oh, this is how I'm made which means that now that I know that and I know it for for forever, I can I can adjust things to adapt to that, to help with that. It's just like, again, our kids. Like if our kids felt like broken and messed up and like they just couldn't figure it out because they didn't know how to walk at eight months old and we were just like, all right, then you just should crawl your whole life. Like no wonder they would, they would live their whole lives feeling so upset. And that's kind of what we've done as a society for women and their health and their hormones. And so I just really encourage you to like navigate that with a ton of grace and just knowing like, no, like my body's designed to walk. Like my body's designed to work the right way. It's designed to not have all of these things. It really is just how can I turn my journey? Because it is a journey. It's not like all of this happens overnight, but how can I turn my journey 
away from being stuck and chasing all of these things that aren't helping me to actually learning and focusing in and like really almost investing in this body that you have for your entire life. Like if you really think about like, what else do we have to deal with for our whole lives besides like our husbands and our kids, but other than that, and those are the investments we'll spend the most on every time. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I just think that like, it's so easy for us to go, you know, think like, I just really, really, you know, and we all need cars or whatever. Like I really, really need a car. And like, we can justify that. But like to think for ourselves, like I need to spend a little bit of money to figure out how this machine works and we won't do it. And I just encourage, and I'm guilty of this too. Um, but I just want to encourage people that like, it is so worth it and it can change everything. And you get so much more back when you aren't constantly living in just that like subconscious battle that's happening day in and day out of what do I eat? How do I eat? Why won't my body do this? Why can't I weigh what I want? Um, and I say that as someone who lived it and is kind of on the other side and, and that's what I needed to hear. So. Oh my gosh. I love that so much. It's so encouraging. And it is so true that we, we don't invest in ourselves in most of us as, as women, as moms, we don't invest in ourselves in the way that we invest in our other relationships or in our kids or even just in our homes. But this is the one body we're ever going to have. And we need to, and to show up for those people in our lives, we need to take care of ourselves. So I think that's, that's so huge and so important. And the work that you do is, is so important. So I have three fun rapid fire questions that I love to ask all my guests at the end. And I know in our last conversation, we talked about how you, you don't do a ton of fancy cooking. So I'm really interested in the answers to these questions. (laughs) So the first question is what is your favorite thing to cook? My favorite thing to cook. Oh my gosh. Um, Okay. So I do a lot of soups, um, but I always make them with like a cashew base. And that's probably my favorite thing because I always change up like the herbs. Really, I bet my favorite thing to cook is a cashew sauce because I will try to make a cashew sauce out of anything. So like I'll try to make a spicy one for nachos. I'll try to make a creamy one for soup. Um, I try to make like a cheddar-y one. You can't really have cheddar cashews, but like an Italian one for pizza. Like I try to put a cashew sauce on everything. (laughs) Sometimes it goes so well and it's delicious. Sometimes it goes terrible. So I would say that's probably my favorite thing to cook, but girl, I just don't like cooking. (laughs) Oh my, well, that's, that's why we're gonna, we're gonna come up with some, some ways to give people some hormone balancing foods together. Right. Because, uh, (laughs) I love the cooking side of things and you've got, you've got the knowledge. We've got to collaborate more on this. I am a huge fan of cashew cream sauce too, but you know, I, I have not done cashew cream in or cashews in soup and I need to try that. Because yeah, like a- kids love, we do it on like bonza chickpea pasta and that's one of their favorite meals. It's just doing like, we'll do like a nutritional yeast, dairy-free um, mm-hmm. cashew cream sauce. And, and I've also done kind of a chipotle cashew cream. I love the idea of putting it on nachos. We'll do it on, I make these, um, like fajitas with, um, siete food tortillas and um, some chipotle powder in the cashew cream, but soup. Oh my gosh. I'm going to try that next week. <laughs> Yeah, it's so good. It makes like a, my favorite's like a creamy. So my husband's um, vegetarian 
And then my son, we try to do dairy and gluten-free. So that just makes a lot of like things. Whereas I'm just like, I'll eat all the things. Um, so I try and you know, I'm all about those healthy fats. So I'm like, Mm -hmm. well, soup's a good food for you. It's got a lot of stuff in it, but I want some like something to it. That's going to make it, you know, lower inflammation and help. It's so easy to throw in like a ton of turmeric and cilantro to detox the liver and still get my kids to eat it. Um, so yeah, I just, it's just like a normal chicken noodle soup minus the chicken. And then we, I actually take the ingredients of the soup after they've been boiled and put them in with the cashews. And it just makes Mm -hmm. this like super creamy, like homey. It's so good during winter. It's starting to get warm here again. And so like, I feel like I cook so little during the summer, but, um, (laughs) eat a lot, but cook a little. (laughs) (laughs) I think we're all like that though. Right. So if you don't love to do cook, if you don't love to cook or cook a lot, what is your favorite thing to order or to have someone else cook for you? Mm, That's good. Probably seafood. Mm. Um, I'm in Charleston and so there's so much good seafood and like I I would say I would eat seafood if I could, like the rest, like lobster, crab, shrimp, all of it. A really good piece of fish. We have so many good restaurants here in Charleston. And like, Mm. I will never attempt to cook fish at home. I guess I have, but I just know how it goes. Um, But if someone else could cook me like amazing, like redfish or mahi or salmon every night, I would just love it. Love fish. Oh, I love that. I love it too. I'm in Rhode Island. So we've got a lot of fish around here. So (laughs) yes. Oh my gosh. We could, we could totally have a great meal together. I love, I love cooking seafood. (laughs) So yummy. So my last question, because this is the Healthy Balanced Mama podcast, and we love to talk about balance with food and wellness and every area of our lives. What does your beautiful balance mean to you? So I feel like sometimes I feel like balance itself we think of is like a state we just like get to and exist in. And I think for me, what balance more so is an understanding of how to navigate. It's almost like a roadmap, if that makes sense, of like, I feel balanced if even when things are off balance or out of whack or like not how I want them. I know where to go. Like, I know why I know like what to do next. I kind of have that. I mean, you know, holistic is probably my favorite word, but I really kind of have that like holistic view of like, Oh, okay. Like this is what we could do next. And so I think for me, every area with like my kids with, it's almost like a lowering of expectations and more so like a peaceful navigation is what feel is what balance feels like to me. Um, I think a lot of times we shoot for reaching this state of balance, but even when, you know, let's say for instance, your hormones are balanced, there's, that still means we still have to be intentional and have grace for when we can't be intentional and like, kind of just bring this different, this like countercultural, like peaceful understanding versus the frantic, like. I've got to do something. I've got to do something now. I've got to see results type of feeling. And again, in every area. Um, so yeah, I would say that's probably what balance where I like to have happy balance and what that kind of looks like for me. Oh my gosh. I love that so much. It is about 
navigating our everyday life and every season because every season is going to be a little bit different, right? Yeah. Yeah. So where can my listeners connect with you and all that you offer, your courses, all of the things? Yes. So everything is at Dr. Heather Rhodes. Um, and it's just doctor with a DR. And so at Dr. Heather Rhodes on Instagram, um, www.drheatherrhodes.com. Hello at Dr. Heather Rhodes is my email. And then I am on Facebook, but actually in a Facebook group called Hormones Simplified. So I run that page over there. Um, and that's where I am active and answering questions. And it's like a good old fashioned slumber party. So we're just talking about all the girl things. Yes. And I am in the group and it is a really, really great community. So I will link all of those in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on. This was so great. There was so much good information and I am just so grateful for you and all the work you do. Thanks so much, Kristen. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Healthy Balance Mama podcast. If you loved it, would you take a screenshot and share it with a friend over on Instagram and tag me in it? It helps me so much to know what you love and are taking away from each episode. If you really loved it, would you hop over to iTunes and give me a star rating and review? Every rating and review helps this podcast be seen and heard by more women who need to hear the message of balance and wellness without deprivation. It's the best free gift you could give me. And as a reminder, the information and opinions on this podcast are meant for education and inspiration only and are not to be taken as medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult with a trusted practitioner before making any changes. Have a beautiful day, friend, and I'll see you in the next episode.